This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> wow, that was amazing. Uh, what are your names? Michelle Burton. Michael Barr. Right. And what are your roles in the line dance community? I am an instructor, choreographer, a judge, and a lover of dance. That's the rules. My rules. <laughs> They're my rules, too. <laughs> we do it together. Yeah, we're able to, as a couple, teach line dancing as individuals. So we get to travel together as a couple, which is wonderful. But we do our own thing. And we can come together and do it in one class, or for the most part, we do it in separate workshops. It's pretty cool. And how does the experience differ from doing solo teaches uh, versus um, duo? Got to know each other. When to zip it. <laughs> Let the other one take the lead. Yeah. You know? and go back and forth at the appropriate times. And it's just, it's really nice being able to travel together. You have a companion. Um. It's a lot of sharing. Mm-hmm. Of course, it can get pretty lonely on that road. And so if one of us was doing it all the time, it wouldn't work for a relationship. So there's that steadfast rule. We'd, that comes first. Seems healthy. <laughs> and uh, during the lesson, oh, yeah. in, in what way does having the second person help? Mm. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there's a couple ways. Mm. Um, I think that for us, each of us has a different strength. So if we're doing, for example, if we're doing a technique class, um, Michael is really good at teaching a dance, and then maybe I would come back and, and insert some technique. Um, if it's a regular class with two of us, um, one person can... Uh, maybe work the room on the floor and the other person can be on stage. And we've done it a number of different ways where sometimes we'll split it up and one does 16 counts and the other does 16 counts. Sometimes it doesn't work. You've got to be real sensitive to the group you're teaching, to the, to the um, kind of flow you want because yeah. that, could, that could interrupt the flow, but sometimes it doesn't. So it's very unique to find out when those times are. And we've done it all different kinds of ways. One teaches, the other floor. Both of us split it up and have some fun with it, and that has worked at times as well. So, Do you choreograph together as well? Yes, we do. How does that work? Well, I think it works good where I'll be done, and Michelle will come back the next day and go, oh, I, I want to work that other aid or something like that, and, and like we'll kind of grapple, you know, because I'm ready to move on. And then I kind of... Relax and go with it, and something always comes out better. So I appreciate the kind of the extra effort, you know, that Michelle just isn't satisfied for the most part, a lot of the time, not all the time, um, and will ask me to kind of go, go back, and I do, and I'm always, always thankful for it. And, and go, yeah. Sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's not because we don't want to get ourselves, um, we don't want to overthink things. Um, and so Michael brings me back to reality when I'm overthinking things, and yeah. he'll, he'll just say, hey, you know, it's, it's good, it's working, um, let's, let's keep going with what we got. So yeah. I think it's, it's, it's definitely a, um, a collaboration when we're, when we're working t- together. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of your dances yeah. that folks might know? Individually and mm-hmm. uh, there's mm-hmm. a couple. 
Uh, whoa. Excuse me, microphone. Someone <laughs> just shut a door really loud. Um, black dresses started it off for me in 1994, and that kind of went global, which put me on the map, and which I was very thankful about. And then Hey Bruce and uh, Doors of Life, uh, Beautiful Goodbye. Uh, excuse me, that's my alarm. Doesn't mean I have to leave right now. Um, and uh, Rain Against My Window would be, say, four of the five of the ones that have made it to the floor very successfully. Um, American Pop was a dance that was, was done in quite a, quite a lot. Oh, I'd say it's a classic. Yes. 2001 yep. or 2002 choreographed yeah. that. Um, Go Grease Lightning, which we did here this weekend, is just a really fun novelty routine. That, those are probably my favorites. Um, I've done some collaboration with, with Michael and Michelle Perron, uh, with Can-Am Tango. Rumba, Michelle and I did uh, Rumba Breeze. Um, I like Zenyatta's Waltz. It's been around for a Zinata's while. Waltz. Those are yeah. some, some of our of dances. Them. But go to our website. <laughs> <laughs> Advertisement. No, oh, feel free to plug away. Yeah, no, we'll do that maybe at the end. But, but yeah, they're all up there. Um, we've, we've done a lot of dances, and we've been in it since... You know the early 90, the early nineties. So there's a lot of dances out there. And, you know, there's really some probably some favorites that just didn't make make it to the the social floor. You know, but sometimes it's disappointing. But it's it's fickle out there, and you, you can't dictate what's going to be popular and not. So so those are just our little babies at home that we still love. <laughs> what do you, um, what would you say? gives a dance longevity and uh, makes something a classic. Mm, yeah. There's a formula. <laughs> I guess there is a formula. Oh um, it's the Joe Thompson formula. Right. <laughs> Joe Thompson, Szymanski. I think that formula yeah. is good song, good choreography equals a good marriage. A good marriage. Of and so you, you can expand on that. Mm-hmm. And there are things of don't put tricks into dance just to put a trick into the dance so try try not to outdo your own self um, if you do have some turns great don't continually have the turns have a rest period there's there's a time where you can get the hook going to get them really loving the dance and then there's a time to kind of mellow out and get them ready for something else once when you get too many hooks then none of them become hooks, and it's just a mind-bender. So there's that kind of formula to be kind and humble to your choreography and then catch something in the music, listen to it a lot, and catch some of the nuances that can really make people smile. And I think you're really good at that. Well, thank you. That's pretty nice, huh? Yeah. She's very nice, and I appreciate that. That's that's the fun of it, to find those spots. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in like, um, I marveled at it just, just yesterday myself, after years of doing it, rain against my window. There's a part where all you do is look to the right and look to the left. That's it. That's the hook. People get off on that mm-hmm. because the music blended and married at the right time. But come on, I mean, it's not a dancing with the star step, you know. It's just a look and a look, but it hits it. So 
we've got to look for those things. I would, I would suggest choreographers to look for those moments. How do you decide when to make it part of the choreography versus a styling option? Good question. Good, yeah, good question. <laughs> okay, going to have to think about that for a little bit. Um, one of the formulas is to not outdo, not outdo the clientele, not outdo them. So there comes kind of like a little bit of a guideline. Um, so if it makes the dance just so much harder, you know, maybe suggested as styling, maybe, but pretty much vanilla, vanilla. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a little noisy, but vanilla uh, will be better at that point, you know, than than to just you know go for a major major you know kind of styling thing. Leave it alone. And it, I, I think that we like to give people their um, the opportunity to yes. to put their own styling in because once the choreography exactly. is out there, it becomes everyone's choreography. It becomes everyone's opportunity to um, style it the way they want, dance it the way they like. So sometimes I always think of a step sheet in our choreography as a skeleton, and um, dancers. I would hope that dancers would take that and embellish it to uh, their own personalities and their own needs. What, uh, what, have you, what have you found your dances have helped express for you? I find that different songs and dances will draw out different emotions from mm-hmm. Like at the country bars, you can get a lot of aggression out, a lot of stomps and kicks. And then here you might have uh, maybe loss of a loved one, and then you can express that with different really elegant you know, stretching or reaching type dances uh, what dances what have dances helped you to uh, process and express well waltz and time um, which I didn't mention because it's, it's just not done kind of out there a whole lot um, but it's the dance that expressed an emotion of um, meeting Michelle mm-hmm. and meeting a person that I grew to love and it was even a bit of a little bit of a collaboration because I was having trouble counting, um, and and Michelle showed me that it was a four five six that I was getting as a one two three, mm. and I and I went whoa! I never thought that, that there was a four five six different than a one two three. I was back in the early nineties, and and so there was this collaboration, and so in the dance itself there was this kind of reaching reaching for this higher level and then coming back down gracefully and I really felt that that was you know a lot of input that that Michelle you know gave me and so that was one dance and there's there's been quite a few I mean because for me they are emotional you know all of them and and they all have their own um their their own feel and style to them um novelty dances you you know you get to really kind of show your uh, you can characterize. You can be a character in a novelty dance, and in a you know waltz, you're, you know you, you have that opportunity to to stretch it. And, and in a, in a Latin dance, you you have that opportunity to to use um, the different parts of your body to um, express yourself. I I find that Michelle can, because of her background and just her, she just has a tendency to be able to pick sometimes a novelty piece of music and just hit it to the hilt 
um, Go Grease Lightning is the absolute perfect example, you know, of just a routine that she made available to the everyday dancer. You didn't have to be the stage, you know, performer, um, but you could feel like one by the time the dance was over. So there's an emotion that you were able to express and give to all of the dancers. And then American Pop was just such a groovy dance. <laughs> groovy, baby. I mean, it made us feel really groovy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just... The other thing is that there have been... I've done dances that have to do with age and, and growing. I don't know why they, the music came my way, but it did. So Doors of Life goes from, you know, the 20s to the 90s. And uh, when I'm 64... And then just recently, the dance called Seven Years Old. Mm-hmm. And Seven Years Old is, is just an absolute beautiful story, you know, of, of, and he goes only to the 60s. And so I'm, I'm right there. And um, so I just relate to it, you know, that there are these stages of life. And, and it's really great to express it in dance. That's all I can say, you know. It's an emotion. And I think we ex- we express very differently. Yes, because that's he, what I mean. He, I yeah. mean, he expresses the more emotional, and and I express probably the more uh, fun and goofy. Right. Yeah. And, well, fun uh, stage and Broadway and you know style and 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 you know just yeah. And so it's really fun to have the two the two mixes for sure. I think th- I think that's why. I think that's, at least I hope that's why event directors actually kind of like us and that we are, we did capture a uniqueness within the circuit of this for the last 20 years. Yeah. How do you feel that you've grown and changed um, in your dance journey? Because of, because of a few people that we've been able to call mentors but then become friends with. That has been the richness of the journey. Um, I did line dancing just because it was there. But I realized that there was this whole knowledge base to learn about dance. And that came from watching a Joe Thompson Samansky. And it was like, oh, you mean I'm doing something that's a whole lot more than what I originally thought it was. And that just exploded to where, oh, you step that way. Oh, the arm can go that way. Or I just started, it was like a, I was like a sponge. Once I said, I want to really do this. So then it really became, you know, very, in, I was very involved with it, you know, and I was fortunate to be able to do it, you know, and, and almost do it full time. In fact, basically full time. Yeah, so um, what was the question again? Uh, how have you grown and changed like, as a yeah, person? Grown and changed. Uh, so, having started out, you mentioned uh, yeah. the '90s, um, and where you are now, and okay. discussing the the dances that help you express feelings yeah. along the life path, like age. Um, who were you going into it, and who are you now, and how has dance affected that? Hmm. Um, for me, part of that comes from. Um, knowing what I did beforehand. Um, I was a high school teacher and taught, um, I had a drill team. And watching those girls dance made me want to dance. They, they did all the, 
the teaching and the leadership. I did the, all the organizing. Then the tables kind of turned. I started dancing, um, being able to do um, kind of what I wanted after watching them for years. Came, coming into it into the 90s, um, it, there was country, the country music was so strong. I loved country music. Um, and that's what really got, those two things got me started. Being able to say, hey, I can, I can it's my turn now. And, and country music, um, I just love it. So what has changed over the time is I've grown to, le- to like other music as well. Good point, yeah. Um, that's, been, that's been definitely a growth area for me. And then being able to work with the Joe Thompsons and the Rachel McEnany's and um, learning about different styles of dance, that has, that's very different for me today than it, than it was in the 90s. I didn't really understand a lot of different dance styles. I understood <coughs> heel hook, shuffle forward, <laughs> um, and knew some dance terms from you know, being with girls in drill team. Um, but there's been a big growth in, um, in knowledge about dance itself. Yeah, um, and I was able to actually finally realize where I was supposed to be. Mm. So that's huge because you do a, a career for 18, almost 20 years of house painting in the Bay Area. And it's like, I did it. I only did it because it was there. A friend said, can you help me? And 18 years later, we were looking at each other going, okay, fine, we've done house painting. What, what's next? I'm, this is not hasn't been it and line dancing did come into my life then and I come from a family who were entertainers but I never went that direction and so my father was a piano player my mother was a dancer um, but I, I never thought I was there I never thought that was going to be part of my life because I didn't have that calling and I didn't I followed what I found in life but then all of a sudden I found line dancing and it was like I started becoming more of the family person that I've been, but never knowing it, my father's son. Um, entertaining and working at hotels that he worked at it was just a mind blower. He's long gone, so he wasn't even around to see it happen. But I walk into a Vegas hotel that he's entertained at or something in his career. Um, it's kind of mind-blowing. So that's been a great step. I know I finally reached where I was supposed to be um, into my 60s. You know, it took a while. And how does one develop that kind of confidence with line dance being in the niche that it is and always maybe looking over your shoulder at your elders thinking, if I really go after this, are they going to think I don't have like a real job or I'm just following some floofy, you know, not concrete pursuit, even if it makes me happy, like how do you get past that that self-doubt and just declare this is what I love, this is what I want to do? Well, I mean, that's really I, I, good because I think we've come at it from different... Right. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I never experienced that. Yeah. I came out of college and became a teacher and taught for 33 years, so there was never any... Um, but I think what you're asking about is maybe more in the entertainment industry. Sometimes, it, are, are you saying that sometimes 
um, it's not giving the its due. If you're not a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or one of those nice stable things, yeah, but you're yeah. always on the road yeah. and you're, um, <laughs> you're doing something completely different, you know, how do you make that okay with yourself and anybody else around you who might disagree with your choice? Um, the way I get over that is uh, I just go and do a workshop and I just, at the end of the workshop, look how happy everybody is. And it's like if I went into a doctor's office and he had to do a procedure and like he did it right and he probably went off and go, all right, I feel pretty good that I did it right. I have the same feeling. So I, I, not anymore feeling that I have to attain to this, that, and the other. Um, I am just so happy with how I can teach a class and the experience, the knowledge that I have. It's grown. Um, and it has felt right from day one, but I didn't know how to do it until I met others and, you know, started watching them and, and just, you know, working it into my own way because everybody has their own style, you know, and that's what made, I think, myself more appealing to the circuit and be hired to go here, there, and everywhere and stuff. And so it's, it's I wasn't as secure being a house painter great contractor in the Bay Area. I mean, had painted the nicest houses you could ever see and want and stuff. And didn't give me much satisfaction at all. So this does. So that's all I'd like is satisfaction. And I get it. And I think when you, but I, I, I still hear what you're, what you're saying. Um, I think that whatever, whatever path you follow, um, is the path that makes you happy. If it doesn't make someone else happy, well, is it there? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's just easy to say it's, it's that's their problem. And just being secure in yourself, I think, probably uh, allows allows us to do what we really want to pursue. And you seem like very grounded and centered people. Where does that come from? Like. What what has helped you to be so at peace with just who you are and how you are? <laughs> He's laughing. <laughs> I'm 65 years old. It's time to be this. It's time to be confident but humble, relaxed, and want to give back. That's what it's time for. So reaching that has been really nice. Fought it for a little while because... You know, those 20-year-old teachers nipping at my heels, you know? <laughs> but then I realized that, oh, hell, I've got a lot to offer, you know? And in fact, it's the kind of thing that I miss in our culture. We don't have the extended family in our culture. So this is just a small example how it can be an extended family in this little subculture of line dancing. I have something to offer some of the teachers that are coming up. I don't. I don't offer it. They come and ask, and I'm there to return. If they do, and if they don't, that's fine too. But it's great to know that I'm, I don't need. I'm not looking for anything else to get out of it anymore. You know. So. 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 Well, but I, and, and being ground. I think being yeah, grounded being, also comes from um, the way that you're brought up, your family values. Um, I mean, I, 
we'll call her our mom. You know, yeah. my, my yes. mom. My mom is his mom, um, <laughs> sure and is. she has been a, a tremendous influence on our life. Yeah. And you know, she keeps it real, and she kind of she keeps, sure does. <laughs> she she keeps everything um, grounded for us yeah. as well. Yeah, I was not as grounded before I met Michelle and Michelle's mother and that whole situation. I was pretty airy, pretty out there in the world. Um, didn't have a whole lot of responsibilities and things of that nature. And so this whole line dancing thing, I mean, because we did meet dancing, so it it has given me, it's given me my first home, uh, with, you know, owning a home together and building that whole thing. And, and you know, for the last, you know, 16, you know, 16, 17 years, um, I've really come into my own in dance as that career started. And so it's part and parcel for me, um, Michelle, Michelle's mother, feeling confident in what I do um, and being able to offer back to anybody else. It's given me a very grounded feeling. I can walk with my head up. <laughs> and you mentioned that uh, you've judged before as well. When, when did you gain the confidence to not only know that you can teach a class, you can create a dance, but you you now have it in your body like what feels like a good dance when somebody else creates it when when did you become a judge and how did that come yeah. out well that goes back to Charlotte Skeeters who is a mentor and a dear dear friend and she was responsible for opening up um, the international scene to us and the larger organizations in the United States because she was one of the kind of the people that laid the judging rules down and organized the hard mental work of putting the rules together. She happened to be a really close friend and so she kind of mentored us in that area and then other organizations asked us to judge because of our consistency, I would hope, of being on the circuit, being visible, being known. Um, and just having a, a certain knowledge base from just being around. It didn't happen overnight. Um, but if, and I think that's about it for that. I mean, Michelle, I'd rather have you, do you have something on that? Well, I maybe I I'll look at, at, definitely Charlotte Skeeter yeah, is, yeah. is the person who um, really. She gave us the confidence that we could judge. Uh, and, and also, I think, experience. Whether yeah. whether you understand every single rule or not is really, in my mind, secondary. Um, you develop an experience for a level of a dance, um, and when you're judging, you're looking. I'm looking for um, steps that that flow. I'm looking for um, a certain level of dance, and in in my mind, a beginner dance will have certain particular. Um, pieces to it. Intermediate dances will um, have will have different set of criteria. So in judging, that's those are some of the things that I look for. Um, but what gives us the experience? I think the or the ability to judge. Um, I think it comes from experience being in the line dance world for for a while. And from that, what other truths and formulas have you discovered? Uh, what what within line dance and I suppose in the, in the greater world outside of that um, as you mentioned you know, being 65 you it's the time in your life when certain things just 
come to, to be like the right thing to um, like the right, a way to look at the world that it, it's the time to do that um, what feels true about how life is at this stage and within line dance what are some things that variations aside like what is at the core of line dance that should make a good line dance um, beyond classic even if it's just a favorite uh, what makes a line dance that um, expresses the greatest potential within a song I think that every person would have a different answer for that because every person likes a song in a different way mm. every person likes um, choreography in a different way and, and I think that's one of the um, bonuses to having so many instructors mm. instructors come from I'm, there's a, a big age difference in all the instructors um, there's a big age difference in all the um, dancers themselves so we're each going to look at a dance maybe in a different way in the in the realm of being you know in our 60s um, I look I, I tend to look at the dancers who are in their 60s and and, and look at the physical abilities of, of those dancers and sometimes will choreograph directly toward an age group um, yeah, yeah um, the the form I go back to the formula um, and it's, it's been tried and true um, where you you do something that you just really like and it might be say a little bit on the difficult side you follow it up with a rest of steps you're resting and that is a real formula and I can't say more about it it works mm -hmm. and it's worked it so many times and the the but what go, goes to Michelle what she was saying <coughs> excuse me is that there are so many different levels of dancers and ages and stuff there is going to be actually a whole group that wants hook after hook after hook after hook um, we might not find that we might have a trouble judging that when I say trouble going too many hooks it's our criteria you know give the, give the dancer a rest or this or that but that's why there's three or five or seven or nine judges that's what makes judging fair because there's going to be this other judge that absolutely loved those five hooks right in a row cool I you know found it difficult and so certain things get you know highs and lows get thrown out with judging and so you get the middle core. And you usually come up with something really, really cool, really cool as, as a decision of a, of, of, a, of a group of judges. And so um, to what Michelle said, there's go we're all going to take it differently. And so there's no, there's no steadfast rules. And um, the, the directors, not the directors, but the people so involved with judging who try to lay down really strong rules usually run into more trouble and it gets it gets um, constricting and then you start losing interest and you lose interest you lose competitors you lose competitors you lose the reason to have competitions 
And so that's a whole nother subject, but you know, that's a danger. And so you want to, you want to be a bit loose, you know, and have the, the right amount of judges and it usually comes out fair. Are there any discussions that you would want to have with others in the line dance community? If you, if you have some just maybe pet issue or a thing that if it were solved, it would just make things easier for everybody. Uh, among the DJs, the instructors, choreographers, dancers themselves, is there anything that, assuming you have the ear of millions of line dancers like, <laughs> worldwide right now, is there anything that you would want to uh, ask them to think about or maybe consider doing? I do. Yeah. I would love to see everyone dancing together, um, beginners through advanced dancers dancing together on the same floor as opposed to having different rooms for different dancers. It's the, for me, it's the feeling of um, community, um, being able to be accepting of everyone in the room and their abilities, their levels, their choices of, uh, of dance. Yeah, yeah and, and then and put the couples on the outside and have couples as well. It, it, it's a full community of dancing, and uh, I couldn't, you know, I applaud it. I, I miss it because that's how we were all in the same room. And it, it's gotten sophisticated. Okay, so it got sophisticated and sophistication walled off people from each other because of the certain uh, amount of sophisticated dances some wanted and some didn't want. And so you had a lot of separation, uh, and it would be really nice to unroll that a little bit. And the DJs would have to do a lot of work to split floors and to control their room and and I and I know it would be a lot of work but I couldn't agree more you know? a, a lot of work in in, yeah. in, a, in an event like this with 1400 people not practical <laughs> not practical <laughs> right. yeah. um, I mean, this, this is out know, of the ordinary event the, yeah this Las Vegas event is just fabulous because there is there is so much going on and, and you really couldn't put everyone together but um, you know if if the world were perfect, that's how I'd like to see the perfect world. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you guys put on your own events, is that right? Mm -hmm. What characterizes your events? What makes them uh, a different experience than any yeah. other you might attend? Yeah. yeah. Well, Boogie Till the Cows Come Home is is a one day more like a fun. It's a one day fun shop. Um, we, we we tried to create the feeling of um, teams. And the teams really are groups of people. So we're you know, not really talking teams, but groups of people who get together beforehand. Um, we have a theme, and these groups will reserve a table. And in order to reserve a table, they, they will have to decorate it. So they come up with decorations. Um, sometimes we ask that they um, Share, bring foods to share, and uh, we take time during the day, and everybody goes to everybody else's table, and we share food. Um, if we, if there are, um, if it's a, a theme where people dress up, um, we'll have a parade. Um, but it's amazing. The table decorations are just fantastic. We always have a parade to go around and look at all the different table decorations, look at everybody's theme. So it's. It's very, it's very homey and community-oriented. Community We're in a hall where we can fit 185 people. Um, it's, 
it's definitely a an experience for for those who who just want to socialize and do some dancing. Yeah, Michelle has put it that come on to Boogie till the cows come home for a day of fun and you'll learn a couple of dances in the meantime. <laughs> so the emphasis is on some different kinds of things. Um, we like to invite a local instructor each year. Most years, not every year, but most years. Um, so we don't have international people coming. It's very regional. Um, and we'll be going into the 17th year of it being in one place at the Corning Veterans Hall. And then Michelle, before that, had it organized for six odd years before that. And it was like a fundraiser for her line dance team that traveled around and competed. So it's, it's had a great growth. Um, and Boogie to the Cows Come Home is in Corning, California every third Saturday of March and we get uh, uh, the website opens up registration December 1st of every year at 8am <laughs> and it's just a fun for all and at 185 we cut it off and we, we each year we go yeah it's not going to sell out this year and one of those years will happen probably <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet so we've been having a lot of fun given a lot of regional local instructors a chance to come and teach um, and just uh, you know have that great theme and then we have breakfast at our house the next day so it, it's a Friday night dance didn't used to be but they talked us into it <laughs> we gave in and then the workshop during the day dance at night then on Sunday who's ever in town who would like to come over to our house her mother started it and cooked up a breakfast for everybody that's so sweet so it's incredibly sweet so that's boogie till the cows come home see so part of that groundedness we were talking about yeah. before is my is my mother she her her thing was well if people are going to come from the bay area and dance on saturday what are they going to do on sunday morning you got to feed them yeah you got to have some coffee for them and, and, and bake good so she baked she would bake everything. She'd make these casseroles, and she slowed down a little bit. So she's passed it on to, to <laughs> us, and, and it's no big whoop. You know, we get it done, and, and she still helps. She still helps for sure. And uh, so we're glad to keep it going. It's pretty cool. What has the path looked like from dancing to putting on your own events? Like, how did, how did you decide that you wanted to create that experience for others after having experienced it yourself? Well, Boogie's been around for so long, so long. And, and it's I mean, it's just unique in itself. But um, yeah, I know talk we've about expanded. Reno yeah, or... we've expanded. Um, go back to Charlotte Skeeter's first. I mean, she created the Golden Gate Classic in San Francisco, and that was kind of like the boilerplate of an international uh, event. So much work to put on. You know, it, it just just incredible. I mean, Doug and Jackie, who put on this event, they learned. I know a lot from going to the Golden Gate Classic and, and stuff. And so we were around all of that. And, you know, Michelle created Boogie on a much smaller scale. And, and then we went to all these events. We know all the event directors, and we know what they go through. It's not something that we would raise our hand for and volunteer to do a big, large event each year. But something happened along the way where 
a very dear dancing friend asked Michelle and I to help her put on an event in Reno. We were her behind-the-scenes assistants, and she was very knowledgeable. Um, we didn't know that, but she was kind of with the hip group in the sense of the younger group who like all the new stuff. She called on us because we have connections to all the classic stuff, the beginner stuff, the easier intermediate stuff, the, you know, and so she was very wise. She wanted a well-rounded event, and we would help her organize it, and then she passed away unexpectedly. Her name is Amy Owen, and with Amy's passing, we put the event on uh, for her as a tribute, and at full-on hotel, making arrangements for so many different instructors coming in, and we got a true view of the large event, the budget, everything that goes into it. It's not something we would want to do all the time, but what we would like to do is take it to the realm of where Amy first started it, and the way we have our boogie is a two-day event, no hotel involved, bring in top instructors. So we are bringing in Fred Whitehouse and Rachel McEnany for a two-day workshop in the Bay Area. So Amy only moved it to Reno for one year because she lost her weekend, but she passed away. But I want to bring it back to where she originated, have a two-dayer, and um, just give the dancers an opportunity to have two full days of instruction on a very personal level with two of the top instructors in the world. And that's what Amy wanted to do all along. Uh, the Reno thing turned out great, but it was kind of like a, 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 I don't know what to say. It just happened because she passed away, and, 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 and uh, we just followed through. But now we're following through with her original dream. And so next Labor Day in September 2017, the Sunday and the Monday, we'll have these two wonderful choreographers come. And the following year, we're already booked again with, with Rachel and we don't know who. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll announce that once we get that all sell, settled, but it'll be the regular Saturday, Sunday uh, for the 2018. So um, we've gone into now taking, knowing how to do a boogie, and then this event is just a two-day boogie you know kind of so we have enough knowledge and confidence to put that on dealing with hotels and doing what Doug and Jackie has done and many other uh, Marcus Senza many other uh, event directors that deal with the hotels you got to be really willing to go through a lot of pain uh, so you were gonna... it's tough yeah um, well I was just going to say that I think that the the two, the Newark, the Wild Wild West, yes. and Boogie will have totally different feels to oh, them. Oh, so. you, well said. Yeah, um, exactly. Because they they really they really attract a different clientele of dancer. Right. They, yeah, yeah. We're really going for maybe the real the regional dancer that don't go to a lot of events. This Wild Wild West uh, really will attract the event goers. Mm-hmm. They, they expect. You know the Rachels and the, and the Freds and and the top dances that are coming out at that time, and they want to be right on the cutting edge. So that's a big difference, and I'm glad mm-hmm. you said that because it is a very different uh, uh, animal. And Rachel and Fred will also um, give everyone easier dances as well. So the exactly. le- the levels will go from beginning to advanced. We're, right. We're boogie. We keep on the easier side because it's 
such a social yeah. activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what's really important because we're putting on one-day workshops in the Bay Area. We put on one with Niels Paulson. We put on one with Joey Warren. And we learned a lot from that. Um, with Joey, we had kind of like the dances were pretty hard, and um, with so we got some feedback, and then we got um, uh, Niels to come in and said, "Niels, mix it up a little." He did a, you know, he did just what he was told. Joey did too, you know, do the hard ones, you know. But we wanted, we all of a sudden we saw some of the hot dogger dancers, you know, learning all the new stuff. They needed a break, hmm. and they didn't really even know it. So we're giving them that break. Um, and so we've asked, as Michelle's mentioned, you know, uh, Fred and Rachel to make sure they have some real good uh, beginner, high beginner dances to give a break during the day for, for everyone, you know. So it'll be a well-rounded event. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah. So You mentioned that you do this nearly full-time at this point. For the up-and-comers who want that to be their life, uh, how, how do you make that happen? How do you put it all together? It's really tough um, because there's a thing, there's a thing out there that is, and the event directors cannot be blamed for this. They have a budget, and they've got to, they they've got costs that they got to meet, and bills they've got to pay, and so they can they can they can offer young choreographers a place to kind of learn their trade and so the pay won't be a whole lot it'll be some but it, it just won't be enough to maybe do it full time so, so the, that person needs to do their job during the week and run off if they can get away on a Friday you know and come back on a Sunday and go to work on a Monday and that is a pace that is pretty intense for, for, for a while and um, there are some who are financially more advanced or so, whatever the word might be, where they don't have to worry about that. So they've been able to just have that freedom, which is very nice for them, you know. Um, that doesn't exist for everybody. Um, I think with us, in having a career before line dancing, and then carrying it for at least 10 years, doing both, you know, I was working in an architect's office after I stopped painting during the week and then going on the weekends, you know, getting extra time off, Michelle getting a little extra time off from, her, from, from high school and stuff. And so it, it was a slow process to where we were actually doing it full time, but we were also semi-retired in a sense because we had done our full kind of career, first career, now we were in our second career. Um, there are very few that are doing it full-time. So there's the reality. There are very few. Especially in the U.S. Yes. Um, oh, that's a good point. When, when you look, um, I, I look at a John Robinson. Um, and John is one of the instructors in the U.S. who truly makes it his full-on living. And you'll see him go... Um, from one event to another and in between those events he's planning one day workshops he's opening up himself up and saying hey you know I can come and teach your class so he's he has a grueling schedule um, yeah. you look at um, some of the Europeans who um, have dance studios so their 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 business is dance 
they're they're doing it during the week in their studios, and then they're they're moving, you know, out um, on the weekends to come to the line dance events. Yeah, there is a whole new group, uh, and many of them, not all of them, but but a lot of them started with Roy Verdunk, and Roy created a school, and he created a, a professional level of commitment, um, and so these younger choreographers, instructors, dance teachers um, kind of have come through his school and are now just, they're kind of like this spreading out over the world, you know, and they're getting jobs everywhere. They're, they're really in demand. And, and Roy was a big, big effect. You know, he's like, he's 10 years older than his students. Uh, he led the way, kind of, and there's others that are doing it, and um, it's fantastic. Um, they've taken it extremely serious. Where, come on, line dancing in America and country music was something you get off work on Friday and you just get dressed up and you go out. Went to the bars. And you go to the <laughs> bars and you have a hell of a good time. You know, and, and that's what it was for us. They've taken it a little bit differently. It's very interesting and very professional, and we enjoy them so much because they bring a lot of talent to the line dance world. I think we've all learned a lot. Yeah, we have from them. I think so. Before I get into yeah. a few final questions, where do you see line dance going in the future? Since you mentioned the the younger crop and um, yeah. and different styles, and where would you like it to go? It might be different things. Might be the same. Yeah. I would love to see, especially in the U.S., more um, young dancers. And I think it, it w- one of the things that's neat is, is more young instructors like yourself because you, you can so relate to um, younger, you know, a younger face, a younger body is more relatable to a younger person than, than us. I mean, you know, we could be maybe the greatest instructors in the world, but um, if you're... 18 to 30 years old, hey, you know, Let's you go probably... go hang out with them. Hey, go hang out with the young guys. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's natural. It's, it's a natural thing. I think to so. To want that. Yeah. So, so we want more. We want more young... We want more young instructors. Of the U.S. Um, in the U.S. Instructors, yeah, to get hooked mm-hmm. and come along. And, and that would, you know, could take a real commitment and some pioneer-type you know, some USA Roy Verdunk style, you know, who would make it possible. Well, Mentors. Uh, mentors. Uh, Brian Barakaskis. I mean, we met him when he was, you know, 18, 20, and he became just an incredible superstar dancer and opened up his own studio. And now there is a whole crop of competitor- competitors. That's his area in ballroom, I guess. You know, West Coast Swing. Yeah, West Coast Swing. Um, and so that was in couples and stuff. And we need more of him. We need more that are willing to do it in, line, in the line dance world. You know, and entertainment and, and, and understand business. And there's a lot, you know, but... It, because it could be a business. It could be. It, it's viable. It's been proven. Yeah. What, what would you say the model would be for a success here? For uh, maybe have, uh, having a revival of sorts. What do you think would be the, the hook that's relatable to the mainstream now within line dance? If it's not the country scene that it was before, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. would we get this to the people in a way that they would understand and be curious about? 
I think one of the things could be doing, um, and it would be regional from one area to the next, um, having demos, uh, dance demos. Um, in the early 90s, when we all started, um, we were so excited to go out and show our stuff, whether it was at the shopping mall or, you know, <laughs> um, when there was a parade, you, you know, we'd, we'd get this long uh, truck and we'd dance on the flatbed. If line dancing has changed so much since the 90s, and, and it seems like in the, in the U.S., um, people still think of line dancing as, uh, you know, heel hook, shuffle forward. And if there were groups of, of people who went out and demoed a lot, um, I think it would just bring out a whole um, new vision to well, people, to the public. One of the other areas, and we've seen this happen in Asia especially, in that you've got to get the educators um, mm, involved. Yes. And so once you get the educators involved and having it a curriculum, having it part of the curriculum, taking it seriously that you could get a degree in dance entertainment or dance choreography or, you know, along with a second business a business degree as well to learn how to run a studio. Um, so the government, if the government can then embrace it, and when I say the government, education is going to be part of government. It's just the two have to, you know, support each other. And so the government in a lot of the Asian countries have taken it on and they have sent down the curriculums you know they've hired the people in the universities and the high schools and they said okay you need you this you have to teach this this is now an exercise mm -hmm. and then it comes up through the ranks of the high school into the colleges and there's degrees and then there's studios and so on and so forth but it has to go right to the grassroots we, it, we saw that specifically yes. in south korea and yeah they've done just a, a fantastic job and uh, I think the Philippines, I, I think uh, uh, they've done that as well. Yeah, you know, or, no, excuse me, Singapore. Yeah, Singapore has done it. In the government, and so it's backed. It's, you've got to have some backing, you know, and, uh, because it'll, it'll only just stay kind of this fun, you know, uh, hobby, you know. And we loved it because it was a fun hobby when we, when we got together with it. But you can make it so much more. So schools, government, backing. Uh, Where would we yeah. start, uh, the dancers and listeners and uh, maybe the instructors as well? What, what's the first thing that we can do to really help um, get out there and, like, hit the streets? Like, do, are there people we should... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, oh, Michelle. Are you talking about how to make it available? Well, um, oh. you're saying that these are, these are ways that uh, would help... Lion Dance get out there through the educators. Yeah. So for the folk, the people at home who are listening to this, are like, all right, well, I'm gonna, you know, put this on pause and, and run out to blank. What is it Where? that they should do? Oh. Yes. Recreation centers. Rec, yeah, rec centers. Rec centers. Look up the. There's there's going to be a class in most every rec center. Okay. It's already there, but a lot of people don't know about it. So it's there. So then we need it to. We need the teachers to go to their supervisors and say I want one unit class and I'm going to make it line dancing you know and, and have that part of the curriculum so 
the supervisors or the principals or the vice principals who's ever in, in, in charge of curriculum need to be approached so parents could approach if they're loving line dance and they say we want we want our kids learning line dance could you please offer that please mm-hmm. and Michelle offered it you know and you know there was some resistance or it just didn't it wouldn't continue if you didn't have anybody really interested right is that right, right. okay well it did so much of that depends on who your your department heads are right. in, exactly. in school. And, exactly. Um, you know, I just happen to have a department head whose experience was not in dance, so she would prefer not to dance. Um, yeah. we, we got to do um, a little bit. And now since uh, time has gone on in, in this specific situation, um, the department head is dance-oriented. Um, there are three dance classes offered through in PE right now. So, I mean, it, things... Things have drastically changed since I retired, so it's um, it's very cool. Yeah, and so who you know, grassroots, go to the rec centers, find your classes, attend those classes, make them viable. Once something becomes popular and viable, uh, other people start to look at it. And those other people can be people in education and go, oh, one minute, this is part of our culture now. We need to have it in our educational system. It's a giant leap, but that's where it needs to go, or else it will always just be a very small subcultural hobby. It, but that, I mean, that's such a that's an overwhelming um, task. Yeah. So, uh, bringing it bringing it down to simplicity, it it takes people like you, it takes people like us in our own communities um, to start classes. And if you can, if you start a class with 10 people, um, then those 10 people, uh, if, they, if they're loving what they're doing, um, might say, hey, you know, maybe one of them feels like they can teach. They start a class, somebody else starts a class, until you get a, a community. I mean, your, your community develops from the one person who came and who started it. So if, um, I know, I think where you are, there's you and there's Brenda, um, and there's a few other um, people in your area where I think Sonoma used to be um, sparse, and I it seems it's from from awesome. our from our view, you know, across yeah. across the mountain there, um, <laughs> I see a lot going on. You yeah. Know? yeah, it's slow. It's a slow it's, process. Oh, it really is. Yeah, and the and the more the more cla- the more people dancing, the more classes, the more social dancing can develop. Bay Area is a perfect example right. of that. Um, there's Every because day. there are because there are a lot of classes. There are a lot of um, people to draw from for for social dancing. Where we are, there's Michael and I, right? Um, <laughs> and we would love some other teachers to step up to the plate and you know and start. So then then maybe social dancing um, could um, come up, and yeah. we could all we could all social dance a little more. Yeah, I think one of the reasons we did do so much on the road is because there's no there's no there's nothing going on in our own town unfortunately except for boogie each year but you know we've tried the classes but okay it's been hard and interest isn't there we go to reading we've had a class there for a long time and a great group yeah a a terrific big a big group a fun group yeah so i can't say more about them but we travel 50 minutes to an hour to go dancing and then we get on a plane to go do more dancing because it's not closer we go down to the bay area and, and there's you can dance every day every night 
in the Bay Area, so it's it's well established. So we need a lot of of, of people to embrace it, you know. But one by one, like you've done in, in in your area, like Michelle said, it's great. And if people wanted to contact you with uh, additional questions mm-hmm. uh, that maybe I haven't thought of, what would be the best way for them to contact either? Of yeah, you? Um, we have a website, and Michelle and I, mm-hmm. our names, uh, just roll right off the tongue I mean Michael and Michelle I mean come on it just works mm-hmm. we both have one L in our name so it's michaelandmichelle.com oh. it's easy to go we have a, a really nice website uh, with information and dances events schedules uh, of course contact information uh, phone numbers and, and uh, uh, email addresses and they can just contact us anytime and we love we love folks contacting us we'll just answer them and get them on their way and maybe we'll learn something too and know where to find them and get onto mailing lists and you know spread the word and that they know that events are coming up uh, events in your area events in our area um, we have to do we have to do whatever kind of uh, networking networking right. we can that, uh, that's really important yeah I mean there's a lot of teachers in and around the Sacramento area up into the Auburn area into the hills um, you know, uh, the Tracy areas, you know, Livermore and, and Dublin, you know, uh, San Ramon, you know, into the Bay Area, you know, and uh, through Walnut Creek, you know, and up to your area, Gilroy, uh, <laughs> could go on. And if the teachers could kind of get together a little bit more. So I hope some of them hear this. Contact us anytime. Uh, if you're having events, we can get, we can work on calendars together, you know, and, <laughs> and get things sent out. That's the kind of stuff that's needed because... Our event is only supported by people's knowledge of it being, being, you know, the third Saturday of every March. Uh, you know, and that's why it's, you know, what's needed and, and we want to be there for everybody. So michaelandmichelle.com and you can get our email addresses there. What dance do you think everybody should go out and learn right now? Okay. <laughs> ah. Well, I could tell you that I am really enjoying Take Me to the River. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the intermediate level, Take Me to the River uh, is just wonderful. Jonas Dahlgren and Roy Verdunk uh, are the... Uh, and then on a little bit easier and with about as... A, just so much personality is uh, uh, Frankie Fever mm. by Madison Glover. And Madison Glover, watch this young lady. She yeah. is a rising star. She has been for actually a while. But Rachel McEnany told told her you better graduate college before you go out on <laughs> We've been so, watching Madison since yeah, she was about, about five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she she and Simon used to dance together. Yeah. yeah. So we've so, been watching her come up through the ranks for a long time. And Frankie yeah. Fever is just I love it. Yeah. It's it's the best yeah. dance in sliced bread right now. Right. <laughs> and then on the easier, easier side, you've got which has been out for a while, but until the dawn is a wonderful dance. It's a more of a high beginner improver kind of dance. You've got easier dances like King of the Road mm-hmm. by Tina Foster. These are dances that, you know, just when they come to events, then people will see them because they're truly just regional dances and sometimes they don't get out there. And so it's fun. We love teaching those kinds of things. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. <coughs> Excuse me. I've had oh, the cough you. for a while. Michelle Thanks very much. I appreciate it. All right. And, uh, cool. Hopefully I'll see you at another event in the near future. All right. <laughs> uh, bye-bye, everybody out there in TV land or radio land.